0: A Seasonal takes the idea of immersive travel to the next level. We go to places not just to see them, but to be transformed by them.
1: This is The Seasonal's podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle and we take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. Seasonal Podcast is back with its second Morocco edition. I'm here with Kelly Mogg. Hey, hey. Kelly, your first seasonal job was when you were 15 years old. Tell me in 60 seconds the story of there until now.
0: So I went to California for my first seasonal job with my sister. Uh, I think she was very aware that I needed a little bit of exposure outside of Oklahoma, where we grew up. So that was my first Exposure to alternative lifestyles, the discussion of you don't have to go to college, you can do other things. Came back, obviously finished high school, um, did a seasonal job after my senior year, working on a ranch in Colorado, also with my sister, before going to the University of Oklahoma for four years. I did graduate, got my degree. Uh, Immediately after that, went to Hawaii uh, to work for my sister on her food truck, I helped her run it in exchange for living in the loft of the renovated barn house that she was living in at the time. It's kind of a work trade scenario that led to working on a taco truck that traveled all over the U S to music festivals. I started off volunteering a couple of times and then followed them long enough that they started to pay me. Did that for two summers, which was incredible. Between those two summers, I traveled in Thailand did my second summer working on the taco truck, finished out that summer, went to Oklahoma to spend time in ho- at home, and then following that winter was my first summer in Ketchikan where I started working at the asylum, met all of you guys, um, and we just finished up the summer that would have been my third summer there, and in between one winter in Nicaragua, then one winter in Ketchikan, and now the beginning of this winter, it's obviously started in Morocco, and here we are.
1: What is it like for a 15-year-old to be working with, I mean, I'm guessing you were working with a bunch of adults. You were far away from home, and I know you came from a more conservative background. Was it a full-blown culture shock, or was it a sort of coming-of-age situation where, you know, you kind of learn to be around adults that weren't your family?
0: I think it was more on the side of a full-blown culture shock. I was living with my sister, so I still had the comfortability of my big sister who was there watching out for me. I had a lot of mentors that summer. A lot of people really enjoyed debating what I should do or what I could do. It felt like all these doors were opening up And even down to the everyday experiences that I had throughout that summer. It was the first time I smoked a joint. It was the first time I skinny dipped in hot springs. First time I really experienced rock climbing. It was just, it was all different from anything that I'd experienced. But it was such a nurturing scenario that it didn't feel, I I guess I don't like the word culture shock. It was definitely so different, but I was so taken care of that it wasn't, it was just like, oh, this, this works. This works, too. This is great.
1: What did you go to college for? What was your degree in?
0: It ended up being a degree in environmental studies, but I, I changed my degree probably seven times throughout the four years that I was in college. And
1: What do you think the effect that the seasonal experience you had was on your, your decisions in college?
0: Well, I probably wouldn't have gone to college if I didn't have it all paid for. Uh, But I had the opportunity to go. I had four years of scholarship money. So that kind of made the decision for me to go um, based on just the logic of it. And I explored anything I wanted. Because at the end of it, all that mattered was I had a degree. So it wasn't there wasn't much pressure to what I was actually studying because I knew I wasn't going to come out of it with debt. I explored a lot. I was a a novice athlete for the University of Oklahoma on the rowing team. I studied abroad in Chile and pretty much just took that six months off and traveled. I didn't really study. Um, so maybe if I, I don't think I would have gone if I wouldn't have had it had that kind of scenario to start with there was a chance that I was going to end up with debt, I wasn't going to do it because I knew there were other options and I didn't have anything specific that I wanted to go study.
1: Tell me a little bit about the experience you had in Chile.
0: I studied at the University of Vina del Mar, which is on the coast west of Santiago. Uh, it was the first time I lived in a big city uh, and I lived in the heart of downtown. That might have been my first cult- culture shock experience. I didn't actually speak any Spanish and whenever I got there, the majority of the students in Chile were on strike because they were fighting for free education, free college education. So being there for that that time was incredible. My Spanish did not get any better. Half the time we couldn't go to class. there. I lived with a host family. The best advice that my host mom gave me probably throughout the beginning of that semester was don't go to any of the rallies, you're too blonde, just stay home. I didn't necessarily stay home, but I I stayed out of a lot of that stuff. I didn't go to school a lot because school was shut down. So about halfway through the semester, after doing a few trips with friends that I had made who were also there studying abroad and obviously not getting the, the study time that they were after as well, uh, I decided to change the scenario that I didn't really get along super well with my host family. they were they were great. They were nice people, but uh, I wasn't learning much from them from being with them. So and it was that was actually still costing me um, like eight hundred bucks a month to stay with them. So I decided to leave my housing situation. I found my first workaway job um, on workaway. Dot com at a Ben breakfast two hours east of where I was going to school at. So I got this workaway job and would spend four days a week there and three days a week in town, in my university town, going to classes when there were classes. I ended up learning a lot more Spanish once I moved to the little B. Um, I worked in the kitchen and you know hung out with a bunch of older ladies it was, it was in the countryside. They were all really sweet and, you know, very grandmotherly. They would make fun of me a lot. I was the little gringa in the kitchen, but I learned so much more trying to cook empanadas and do whatever else that I was doing that they would just tell me to do than I did in school. So I was really, really happy that I could transform that situation into something that was productive for me Um, allowed me to travel a little bit more when I did have the time throughout the country and have some of the first what I consider big travel experiences ended up being great, but it, it didn't start off exactly what I expected it to be.
1: It was different than advertised
0: way different than advertised. I think if my if the University of Oklahoma actually knew what my semester looked like, they'd be real confused at the least.
1: What was the moment where you decided, okay, I'm going to do dif- something different than what I'm supposed to here or what I thought I was supposed to or what the college thinks I'm doing?
0: I think there was just a moment where I was I was probably sitting at Cafe Baul with some of my girlfriends, it was our favorite little cafe and um, in Valparaiso, the sister city, the Viña del Mar, complaining about my host family. Um, everybody else had like these awesome connections with their host family. I, I had awesome connections with other people's host families. Um, a, a guy that I dated for part of the semester, I would go over to his house and hang out with his host family and they were wonderful and they would be patient with me and that was they had the experiences that I thought I was going to be getting into. And as I was kind of kind of complaining about it, I it just dawned on me that I didn't have to stay in the situation that I was in. Like no one can tell me what to do. Like I, this is mine. This is my this is my journey. This is my vision. This is my venture. If I don't change it, nobody's going to, and nobody's gonna tell me I can't either.
1: You go back to college, and you finish that. What happened right after you graduated?
0: Six days after I walked across the stage, um, I was on a plane to the Big Island to live with my sister. She had opened up the first modern food truck uh, on the Big Island. So yeah, so I moved out there to help her run her food truck and to experience living on the Big Island. She made it sound dope. So I was like, okay, I'm done with college. I'll I'll be there in a week.
1: And... Hawaii is a spot where a lot of seasonals would love to go or end up or mm, succeed in, but it's also a place that has a reputation as one of the harder destinations to make work. You had an inn, obviously, with your sister there, but what did you learn about it as a seasonal destination?
0: If I somehow had to do it all over again without the inn, I would probably start off by going and working on a farm. There's lots of work trade scenarios that you can get into where you can live on site. No expense to you, um, just to get there. And then, you know, if you need a little bit more financial support, you start looking for a job while you're already being taken care of. I have a lot of friends that did that. There was a part of my time there that I just did a work trade at a hostel, and I'd work 12 hours a week, and then... Would work thirty hours a week at a restaurant, and that was that was plenty. There was also a good six months where I lived out of my car, that was also really functional. It doesn't have to be super expensive, and once once you just get there, as long as you have an open mind, things usually just fall into place. So you do have to have a little bit of a little bit of trust, and you got to be a little bit comfortable with maybe living in a more rural rural scenario maybe you live in a tent for a little bit um my favorite living situation that i had on the big island was in a shack that had no electricity no running water and it was missing a wall and i had a orange tree in my front yard and a beautiful view it was awesome absolutely incredible and i paid like you know, 200 bucks a month. I had to be comfortable with that. And it was like a little disarming, but it was wonderful. I absolutely loved it.
1: It sounds like you have to be, have to hustle as well. And from what you're saying, be strategic with the choices that you make. I mean, doing doing 12 hours at the hostel to be able to stay there and then 30 at a restaurant, you probably thought about that at some point to make that decision. Um, with, uh, the ba- with the work-life balance, but also doing enough, you know, so that you can get a place to stay. From a lot of your stories, the making the money side of it work is something that you do well. Have you always had that? Did you get that from the Hawaii part? Did you grow up with that?
0: I've always been really frugal. So once I learned that money was a tool, I just had to figure out how to get it. It became like a fun puzzle. Just figuring out how much or how what do I need to do to have what I need to get to where I want to be, whether that's physically moving myself or more metaphorical. I think strategy is really important to me in the seasonal lifestyle because although I can be really comfortable with living situations that others might not be comfortable in, I really like to have a safety net. I like to have a little bit of money in my bank account. I like to be able to get to the next place. For me, that's important. I don't think it is for everybody, but I value that.
1: What does the process look like when you're thinking about your financial situation? Do you write it down? Do you have spreadsheets? Do you have some s- sort of uh, formula?
0: I wish I could say a more. I have more of a formula because I have tried, but it hasn't really worked for me I I loosely keep track of what I make and what I spend and you know maybe that's not true whenever whenever I need to be very strategic as far as like the actual numbers I can be whenever I was in Thailand I went there and I had three thousand dollars in my bank account I think and so while I was there I wrote down everything I wrote down all of my expenses which was weird because it was so cheap there but after the first month I figured out what I needed I figured out what I could spend Um, I really liked the idea of doing what I could with what I had I think there has been times that have been really strategic with with numbers but more of it's a general feel if I'm if I'm making more money I can I can do I can do more if I'm not making money then I I revert back to dirtbag standards like as soon as we left getchigan and I left my well paying job I've already reverted back to my dirtbag ways where I'm counting dirham like their dollars which they are not
1: I heard once a somebody asked oh what's a good amount of money for you or how how much money do you need and the person responded oh when I go out to eat and i don't care how much it is I'm not looking at the price that's when I'm comfortable financially. Do you have a uh, sort of a, a spot that you think you're happy financially in, in that way? Like, is there a a weird gauge to that for you? Um, or for no when you know you're in a place that is cheap enough that you're comfortable financially?
0: I think right now, for me, I like the ability to be frugal the the ability to revert back to if I have nothing I can be fine so I, I don't know that I've ever thought about it in those terms like, I like the idea of taking four months out of the year where I'm not making money and I have to live on live on less I have to be um, I have to be minimalist in my decisions just to make sure I still can and maybe that'll dissipate as I get a little bit older and I know that there's been jobs that I've had that I'm in a comfortable situation. And I, I don't care about money, like bartending in Ketchikan. I, I don't care about money as much as long as I'm nearing some goal that I set for myself. But that goal is oftentimes just I want to do better than last year rather than a specific number that I'm comfortable with.
1: What is a specific number that you've done in Ketchikan as a bartender?
0: I think my, f- my first goal of uh, my first summer was to walk away with $10,000 and I got to catch a can in the red. Like I ran out of money, I think in Canada and uh, I was road tripping with Sierra, who, which is the reason I know about catch can. And she had to spot my ass for about four weeks. So that was my goal for that summer, just based on what I heard I could make. Um, and I met that goal and every year it's gone up a little bit.
1: Before you were in Ketchikan, you worked at a taco truck that went to different festivals. So I've never been to a festival. That life seems closer to a Martian than me than an <laughs> Earthling. Can, can you tell me like what does that entail? What's what's the day to day? What's the week to week?
0: So <laughs> The, the first summer that I did the music festival thing, it was purely to go to a bunch of music festivals. I did not care how much money I was making as long as I got to the next festival. And that's how a lot of people that I was traveling with were. Um, we were very much a team in getting from A to B. We were all strategic because we were all kind of broke. But the point of working that job was to get into all of those festivals. The opportunities that we had to, to get into VIP or sneak into VIP or whatever was outrageous. Things that people spend so much money for. And we're just there. We're, we're there working. We're there camping next to a main stage or, or whatever. Like that was That's more of the point of that job initially. My second summer, I moved up to a managerial position, which was great in a lot of ways because I got to take more ownership of what we were doing. We were sometimes the only vegan option. We were sometimes the only only vegetarian vegan option. We tried really hard to get quality foods. Um, So it was something that I was proud of and wanted to be invested in. Even moving up to a managerial position, it was not super lucrative. Now I know other companies that, are, that you can work that kind of work at that level and, and make enough money, but more often than not, working those jobs is for the experience. It's really hard to make money at a music festival because they take such a huge chunk of your profits. Um, that's why you mostly see you know fried foods and other things that are really cheap to make, because that's the only way that people can make money off of it.
1: So the actual festival is taking the profits, is what you're saying?
0: With a lot of scenarios, yeah.
1: And how much were you making as the employee?
0: Uh, maybe it was like 10 bucks an hour, plus your festival ticket, uh, food, a dope crew to run around with.
1: What about transportation between the festivals? Were you paying for your gas, or were you going in company cars, or...?
0: or my first summer, we would pay for everything. My second summer, it was a little half and half. Uh, me and two other managers, one of them being Sierra, who I mentioned before, um, and another guy, we all bought a van together and our boss would pay for the gas a lot for us there in that scenario. Um, I think the fact that we were three-fourths of the managerial team helped. But So that, that way was a little bit more lucrative, but we worked a lot more. Um, we ran everything from organizing volunteers because people would come and uh, volunteer to work with us maybe just for a festival for their ticket. And they wouldn't get paid, but they'd work, you know, four hours a day. We had to, you know, manage all of them, deal with the food orders, take a lead in cooking the food, make sure everything was running smoothly, do restocking and at odd hours of the night. Sometimes we would never close.
1: All right get to the good stuff <laughs> when you know you're talking about the work part the other the i mean the draw is that you're at these festivals like where show me the line where that work is also the festival and you know you're juggling these crazy hours but as soon as your shift ends you're running to the main stage and you're up
0: till x a.m. a lot of times our our booth would just be inside of the main stage and the most fun thing about working with a bunch of people who are all there because they want to be there is at the end of your shift, you would have a crew of people who knew that your shift was about to end, that that the mid-shift was about to be over. You'd have a cute crew of people who are already off come swing by the truck to pick you up and take you to wherever everybody else was. So it was, it was such a team effort. Like The community bond between everybody was so strong. That it made it so much fun and it didn't matter if I just gotten done with a 14 or an 18 hour shift or whatever it was. So you'd have so many other people bringing all of their energy to you to tell you, you don't need to sleep right now. You're not going to sleep right now. It doesn't matter. Like, let's go. You just missed the first set. Let's go. So there's always there's always reasons to be up. They're like I don't know how any of us could survive in that scenario, but we did not sleep. But it was fine. It was the best shape of my life. It was weird. Get up at 6 a.m. <laughs> 6 for yoga still every day. Yeah, and the, the, the vendor, you know, you get a wristband when you go to a music festival. It says either general admission or VIP or vendor or merchandise or whatever. The glorious things that you could get away with with a vendor wristband were sometimes unspeakable.
1: What about the ones that aren't unspeakable? Let me hear about those. Speak them. <laughs>
0: um, it was it was always just really easy to sneak into VIP. Like you.
1: I mean, are you getting a back massage from Questlove? <laughs> are you getting? Is Jack Johnson bringing you coffee? Like, what's what do you get from this?
0: I mean, a lot of the things that you get into that with are, are way more about things, drug things, and things that we, those are still unspeakable, aren't they? Um, I don't know. <laughs> to
1: you or to me. <laughs> uh,
0: to Ryan, I asked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they're hook. You're getting the hookup. Yeah. In a lot of ways that someone without it isn't. When you're wearing the bracelet, you're in that world, and even though the people without it are there also or paid to be there, it's it's just a different.
0: Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, the first time that I had to wait in a line to get into the festival grounds. I kind of realized that I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to music festivals as general admission anymore. Um, that was, that was always an epic thing about working is that whoever was running security understood that you just got done with a stupid long shift. You just got let in like, go ahead, go, go enjoy. I don't care what's in your bag. Um, you bring it in a, bottle of tequila, that's fine. You have a hydro glass full of delicious margaritas and it's hundred ten degrees, go ahead. It was just a very understanding community of of the the workforce involved to put to putting those whole shows together, the whole festivals together.
1: So you went from that life, that world, to bartending in Alaska during the summers for cruise ship tourists. Mm-hmm. Is there a lesson or something that you learned while you were doing the festival life that you keep in mind now that you're not doing it?
0: I'm trying to think. The first things that come to mind are things that I realized I can't do anymore because I'm not living in the festival world. I realized really quickly starting to work at a bar in Southeast Alaska that I'm going to have to start wearing a bra again. That was a rude wake-up. Um During that job, getting to travel all over the U.S. gave me a lot of talking pieces for sure. So we get the cruise ship tourists that we get are from all over the U.S. or all over. And usually the ones that came into our bar were like a little bit, maybe a little edgier than your standard cruise ship tourist. So they'd always be really excited if I had fun stories, if I had something fun to talk about that related to where they are from. Um, It's not really something I took with me, but it is something that carried over. Uh, Being able to talk about music and events is is a great way to to get to know somebody. And when I only have two hours to get to know whoever I'm talking to at the bar, because they've got to go get back on their ship at 2 o'clock, that was always a fun thing. But that was such a 180 from that job because all of a sudden I was in a place where I'm here to make money now, so it was a lot different. I mean, I was in Ketchikan to experience Ketchikan, but the job that I chose was more for financial reasons. So if I would have just if I was just going to experience Ketchikan, then I'd be a tour guide. I'd be outside. All the time. Still get to do that. But, yeah, it's just a different different job.
1: You went from the festival circuit to bartending seasonally in Alaska. And in the winter after your first uh, summer in Alaska, you went to Central America. What do you look for in a winter destination or an off-season destination?
0: That winter I was looking for warmth. I wanted sunshine And I wanted to be able to run around barefoot. Mostly I just wanted to be warm. I've done a lot of avoiding the cold since I left Oklahoma. And yeah, so the scenarios that allow me to go run around all I want, be in the water, move my body, those are things I look for when I leave Ketchikan specifically. And maybe... Going to Central America, where there's a lot of hippie culture, that laid-back lifestyle, that's that's a little bit that I miss from the festi scene. So I maybe try to seek that out a little bit.
1: And then the next winter, you chose to stay in Alaska. In the cold, <laughs> in the five hours of sunlight a day. What went into that decision?
0: One thing was I wanted to work for the winter, uh, rather than travel, I wanted to stockpile a little bit of cash so I could be able to invest in myself in a, in a bigger way that I haven't been able to yet. The reason why I stayed in Ketchikan was because I, I fell in love with that community. Um, and I wanted to see what it was like during the winters. Everyone talks about the juxtaposition between the hustle and bustle of the summer where everyone's trying to make their dollar and the winter where everyone focuses on their art, their their whatever their creative endeavor is um that definitely appealed to me because I hadn't sat still uh, since you know since I was in college not really anyway Ketchikan was the first place that I it was just the first place that I stayed somewhere and kind of got to fall in love with the day-to-day and enjoy the the small townness so I kind of wanted to give it a try again and Maybe be able to explore some of my own creative endeavors. Yeah. I don't know if it was the best decision for me. Because I did get really antsy. And I was so ready to leave by the end of this last summer. And I, I didn't like that feeling. Because I know it's it's just... It was just me being temperamental. But I did save a lot of money. And... Now I feel really comfortable being able to explore bigger things that will hopefully pay off. Um, I think my ultimate goal has always been to have a location-independent career. Even if it's just six months out of the year, having a little bit of money is a great tool to be able to invest in yourself to get to that point. So I'm, I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad I sat still for a minute so I could think critically on what I'm doing.
1: And so you went through that winter in Ketchikan, then the summer, you're ready to leave, you left. What's going on this winter?
0: So this winter, we're making a magazine. Uh, We've just gotten almost done with uh, a month of us all being together in Morocco, working on our first issue of our quarterly magazine, which will be coming out mid-January. So this winter is, is dedicated to the seasonal. You're
1: working with me and Ryan and Jason. What's the most annoying thing about working with the three of us? <laughs> what do we do that really grinds your gears? Nothing. I know everyone listening that knows us has <laughs> something in mind right now. What's yours?
0: <laughs> the three of you have... This is something that I love about you three as well the three of you have such a history and the way you work together is very fine-tuned in a lot of ways
1: fine-tuned isn't what i would call it
0: (laughs) it's it's deep it runs deep and that is a beautiful thing but listening to the three of you make references to shit i don't know about (laughs) while we're having a meeting might be something that I would consider really annoying.
1: So it's littered in inefficient tradition.
0: Yes. But, I mean, the more you get to know somebody, the better you work together innately. So it's it's great.
1: In most cases.
0: In most cases. No, it, it's great. But if you guys make another ESPN reference to try to bring a point home, I don't know. Um, that and the, the 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 stock market thing you guys are into.
1: <laughs> We're testing the waters, okay? We're day trading.
0: <laughs> day trading. Our our day our work day stops at three p.m. when the market opens. Uh, so I don't know. I'm waiting for you guys to gift me a Bitcoin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think you want a Bitcoin right now. It's going down, down, down. If it's down.
0: gifted, I want it. Yeah, true. Just one.
1: We're working on the magazine now. Um, that comes out mid January. Or early January, or late January. <laughs> uh, what do you What do you see for yourself in five years? I mean, what's What's the future hold for you?
0: Well, I would love for this magazine to take off. I would love if this could be my full time job, six months out of the year, which I think is possible. A big thing that I know that I'm missing in my day to day life is like, physical movement.
1: Are we talking, like, 5Ks every <laughs> weekend? Or just, you know, more yoga? What what are we talking here?
0: Yoga and flow arts. Um,
1: What's a flow art?
0: A, a flow art. Uh, flow arts are, it's an, an umbrella term for uh, like hula hooping, poi. What's a poi? The most common image that people have of poi is... Of a Hawaiian dancer at a luau, uh, spinning two balls of flame on at the end of a chain with a handle. So that's poi. Any any kind of toy that can be na- manipulated through movement is a, a flow art. I mean, juggling can be a flow art.
1: Is a skip it a flow art?
0: If you if you're cool enough about it.
1: If you're really good at it. <laughs>
0: really really good at it. Yeah, I really miss those kind of circusy elements that I would get a lot in the festival scene and I get every time I go to anywhere tropical. I would love to be able to work on the magazine six months out of the year or as half of my career or whatever and be able to do things related to flow arts, fire arts, yoga, the other half of the time.
1: What are you doing to get that other half of the time up and running?
0: Um, Not enough. Um, I've tried a lot of different things in Ketchikan. I started a flow group over this last winter, and it was great. It was so much fun to do, to, to share that with other people. But... I think that's going to be the next thing that I need to invest in myself with, Um, which looks like going to places where where a lot of people are doing that, studying a little bit more, practicing daily, maybe taking a month out of every year to just go practice flow arts with a bunch of circus kids would probably be a good start.
1: Where's a good place to do that?
0: A group that I'm pretty fond of, Momentum Collective. I've never participated with them as a group, but I met one of their ringleaders while I was in Nicaragua. I was working on a sailboat, and he brought a tour group onto the sailboat, and then I ended up spinning fire for his tour group. And obviously, that led into the conversation. They do a few throughout the winter, one in Guatemala, one in India. Um, and they just open up a new one in Colombia which is very convenient because I'm already going to Columbia with you in February. So that's, a, that's an option. It's a thought.
1: So you've been doing seasonal life. How, how long, all combined? Five years? Six years?
0: Well, I graduated college when I was 21. So six years, if you don't count prior to that, yeah.
1: If you had someone either just out of high school or just out of college asking you for advice on not necessarily exact choices to make, but some guidelines or principles to keep in mind while they're making the choices to get into the seasonal life, what would some of those be?
0: Do it before you go to college.
1: Why? Why would you say that?
0: The number of people that I talk to either from my hometown or or wherever that look at my lifestyle in awe, asking how, how can they do it? And like, you, you can do it. Anyone can do it. Um, this is, this would be a first step. I get so many responses, um, regarding college debt or car bills or, or being tied up in money basically. And a lot of time being tied up in money is the only thing that stops people or or the excuse that people give, at least.
1: Financial obligations.
0: Financial obligations, exactly. Um, As to why this doesn't seem possible for them. I think by taking a gap year, you're at least giving yourself the option to not get into those financial obligations that we don't even realize are happening. Uh, before we get into them. Give yourself some time to check other things out before you tie yourself down.
1: Where in the world would you tell them to go first for fun, not necessarily to work, a place that you enjoy going and that would give them an idea of that geographical freedom?
0: Like outside of the U.S.?
1: Yeah. I'm 18. I just graduated high school. I come up to you. I want to leave the country for a little bit before I go to college. Am I going to Southeast Asia or am I going to south of the border?
0: That's kind of a tough one. I don't know if I have an exact answer for that. Uh...
1: Kick rocks, kid. <laughs> what are you asking me for? <laughs> Scram.
0: <laughs> I think you can go to you can go to Southeast Asia. You can cruise the the backpacker trail that so many people do um, because it is, it's easy to do as a first time traveling out of a country. Uh, We're at a point where you don't have to worry about not being able to speak a language. Not that I don't think you should try, Um, but it doesn't have to be a scary concern and you can get a diverse community. You can get exposed to something that's very unlike what you're used to but you can still go knowing that you're not gonna have to worry about being an avid traveler yet
1: where would you rank morocco in there
0: well where we've spent most of our time in morocco has been in a which is a really quiet town and i think it's a place that i would have really liked when i was 18 because you could you come and you you just slip into everyday life I don't know if it's like the first place that I would send somebody, but I also haven't seen much Morocco yet, other than our quiet little work town.
1: Who put on the best live performance you've ever seen?
0: String Cheese Incident is hands down my favorite band to see live.
1: Other than your favorite band?
0: One of the coolest live performance experiences I have is seeing Elton John at Bonnaroo. I can't remember if we shut the truck down to go watch Elton John but I want to think that we did. So I'm just going to say that we did and everybody went, we all went together and it was one of those musical experiences where you just have so many people on the same page that it's, oh, it just makes you emotional. Like You can't help but get emotional knowing that you're all listening to this one guy. And it was obviously an incredible performance.
1: All right. Mm, tell me why string cheese incident is so amazing.
0: Oh, we were talking about it the other day, and you used the word culty to describe the people who love String Cheese Incident, and there there might be an air of truth to that. It's just one of those bands that if you know, if you meet somebody and you know they like that band, then you're automatically going to be friends with them.
1: I think I meant culty as in culture. There's a culture around the band. Is
0: that what you meant? Yes. Uh, <laughs> They are, they're just wild. They, they're a very well-known band. They've been around for a long time, but they still put on a show every time. I'm never going to get tired of seeing them live. Well,
1: Kelly, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful hearing about your stories.
0: It's wonderful talking about them with you on our rooftop in Morocco.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful here. that's it that's the episode the seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger me Joey Ravinsky the theme song by Ryan Deininger Joe Williams Louis Leva Chappie Thomas Hamilton follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore like us on Facebook listen to our next episode that's it we're out